Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? Good. Good. For those who just came back from a trip, welcome back. For those who are going off on trips, have a good trip or subsequent weeks. Uh, so, did you all uh, manage to read up? Yeah. How many of you managed to read up? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the that's the reason why we have this uh, study group up, because not so easy to read on our own. <laughs> uh, have you all tried? How many of you have tried the podcast? How many of you have not tried the podcast? Okay, so the the podcast is currently up to date. Uh, like so, today's class is being recorded, and then will be uploaded to uh, my website, and you'll be available on podcast. Yeah, on the on the link that I've shared. So those of you who have difficulty, um, do let us know on the chat group. Yeah. Uh, the what do you call that? Where let me see. We are now at the chapter, the bringer of light. Uh, we stop. We stop at page uh, fifty-four, I think. Fifty-three. Yeah. So, the, for the uh, earlier pages, from page, from the contents, all the way to forward, to preface, uh, please do <laughs> read up on your own, and also listen to the podcast, and also to cover the first chapter and the subsequent ones up to where we stop. Yeah. So, in the past week, we went through... Uh, this particular uh, chapter where we learn more about the Buddha. In many of the uh, accounts of the Buddha where we maybe watch a movie uh, or attend a talk, uh, sometimes it's, an, it's, it's usually during Vesak Day that there is a uh, display or sometimes even a performance of how uh, the Buddha as a Bodhisattva descend from Tushita heaven into the uh, mother's womb and then how when he was born there are certain uh, amazing signs uh, sometimes we may as Buddhists accept it as it is yeah? uh, but so in this sutta this sutta is from the Majikma Nikaya middle length discourses Acharya Abhutta Sutta yeah, so, in this sutta, the Buddha shared uh, the, those qualities. Yeah, or rather, he quizzed Venerable Ananda on what other qualities there are. And Venerable Ananda shared uh, what he has heard from the Buddha about the qualities of the Buddha. Yeah? Uh, 
uh, that is distinct and unique to him. Yeah. So, uh, if anybody asks you, how do you know that the Buddha walked seven steps? Then you can cite this sutta and say, well, it is said in this sutta. Yeah. Whether or not you want to accept this sutta as, uh, as evidence, that's another thing. Yeah. Uh, last week, I also mentioned about how I want you all to think about uh, the qualities that is listed here, yeah, such as uh, having been been born, he was able to uh, walk seven steps. Yeah, never mind the description about the Buddha being received by the Devas first, then by the by human. Yeah, uh, let's just talk about him taking seven steps, and then um, speaking. Yeah, uh, I, I wanted from last week. I think I asked y'all to go back and think about this. Yeah, huh? so uh, let's go through. Uh, let me see. Uh. Yeah, no, you did ask me not last week, but long before. before. Yes, and I when I read this part, uh, especially for somebody as critical as Bhikkhu Bodhi, mm. because uh, he is very. Yes. Uh, why would he accept all this and? In the, in the introduction and all that, right? Mm. In the preface, he has always questioned about the, the mm. how we must hold the standards of how we test the other religion yes. toward Buddhism itself. Yes. And yet, he is able to accept this. Yes. That puzzles me greatly. Yeah. So, so, in the early part of, yeah. uh, in the introduction portion, mm. he mentioned about the two images of the Buddha. Yeah, which I highlighted in class last week, about how um, there's the historical Buddha where uh, he's presented as being very human, yeah? uh, being born and then uh, living the life as a prince, going forth and uh, eventually attaining enlightenment. But even as a Buddha, uh, he's presented as growing old and occasionally having sickness and eventually passing away, uh, dying. So, Very yeah, this is one, one uh, side of the, of the Buddha that is presented, that he highlighted. Then he highlighted that there's the other aspect which presents the Buddha almost as a super being. Yeah? Someone who is almost uh, beyond uh, humanly qualities. Yeah? Uh, I... I, in, in some ways, I am with uh, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi in that um, I think these two aspects together perhaps would give us uh, an appreciation of who the Buddha is. Uh, however, I'm of the opinion that some of this description, whether, true, whether uh, historical, historically uh, verified or not, should not change the essence of, of, the, of his teachings. Take for example, um, uh, the other day someone asked me this question about uh, whether there are Buddhas in other world. Yeah? Like in the Theravadan tradition, uh, there is the question, there is the recognition of Sikyamuni Buddha and the coming future Maitreya Buddha. There's also recognition of past Buddhas uh, in, a, in a few of the suttas. However, 
in comparison to Mahayana Buddhism, then uh, the numbers seem to not tally. Yeah. So my my stand is whether or not uh, there are uh, Buddhas in other world. Uh, the truth or the fact remains that today, if you are attached to something or someone, and when that something or someone do not go according to your wishes, then to the extent that you are attached, you would suffer. You would be affected. How affected? Uh, it depends on how strongly attached you are to wanting that something or someone to go according to your wishes. Uh, that is still a fact. Whether or not there are Buddhas in other world or not. Yeah. The same would, I would say that the same can be applied to uh, these accounts about the Buddha being born and taking seven steps. Whether he walks seven steps or not, to me, in a way, is immaterial. There are some scholars who suggest that these descriptions individually relate to certain qualities and is being presented in this way. Take for example, uh, the way he's born. Uh, I've ever heard of accounts where they say that this is in contrast to the Brahmins, uh, Brahmanic religion where they say that the Brahmins are born through the mouth of, of Brahma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's this, this juxtaposition yeah, of how they present the Buddha's birth to highlight that, well, similarly, the Buddha's birth is not ordinary in the sense that it leads to suffering, you know? Yeah. So if you but look at it that way... Bika Nikaya 27, right? Specifically, mm. that's a Kuang Yin Tian yeah. that specifically says that is rubbish. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? exactly. So the, the, the point is, in which case then, if you want to take it as a figurative comp like uh, counterpart, yeah. Yeah, then that's fine also. But to me, whether it's figurative or literally true or not, uh, it's immaterial. Uh, it's immaterial. Yeah. So maybe I'm attached to it. Uh. We attached to this phenomenon. Yeah. That, that it is potentially, that it is presented as a sutta itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could potentially be true. Yeah. In which case, I'm also okay. If it's true, <laughs> it's true. Lor. Yeah, but as I've shared last week, uh, if you follow the podcast, yeah. I mentioned last week that today if, yeah, if, someone, if someone is born and then is able to walk seven steps in, the, in KK hospital and then start talking, you know. Facebook but, already, viral. Yeah, immediately go viral, immediately probably uh, our NEA or don't know whatever ministry will, will bring the child in for investigation, you know. But to me... That will, all, that will be all that this child is, nothing more. If this child do not later on attain enlightenment and be able to expound the way to enlightenment to the degree that the Buddha has, it is because of how the Buddha attained enlightenment and the degree where he teach, he is able to teach the way to attain enlightenment. Yeah, and his skillfulness and so on, uh, that we take refuge in the Buddha. Not, not, not because he was born in this way, uh, to me. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what I think. 
Um, I was wondering whether you all have any thoughts. Yes. Okay, one thought from you. <laughs> uh, if, if I were to see the Buddha or someone walk seven steps and born and spin off, how do you cool your tower? How do you cool your tower? Yeah, seriously, man. if you see what, what, what's your weapon, so you better hope that in future life, you don't see Maitreya Buddha. Because technically, uh, he is supposed to future <laughs> In future, Maitreya Buddha will do the same thing, you know. <laughs> so, based on this stuff. Born like this, uh? Uh, well, the, the, the first question one should ask is, why am I there to witness the birth? <laughs> yeah, but in, in, the, in the event, if I do see someone do that, uh, and the child actually declare himself to be the way he's declared, uh, yeah, we will we'll turn, I'll be like, well, okay, but first of all, like, can you explain the Nikayas first? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the Buddha's time, there was this lay uh, disciple, a lady. One day, uh, he, she saw the Buddha walk past and she invited the Buddha in for arms round. So the Buddha came in and then uh, received arms. And after arms, it is, it is quite standard in those days that after offering of food and after food is consumed, then the lay disciple will request for teachings. Yeah? Uh, not like today, usually, or just receive or blessings and merit, and then, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah. but in those days, the disciples would actually uh, ask for teachings. So, uh, then the Buddha started to, to expound. And you know what happened? Halfway through the sharing, the lay, lay, lay lady suddenly said, stop, you are not the Buddha. She made such a statement, you are not the Buddha. And the Buddha turned out really not the Buddha. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's actually one of the heavenly beings who manifests all the features looking like the Buddha. Yeah. So on the surface, she has no reasons to doubt, so invited and do offering and ask for teachings. But through the teachings, she was able to distinguish, you are not the Buddha. And he, she dared to say, in the face of someone who looked like the Buddha, you are not the Buddha. And this, this heavenly well, being was, yeah, was in a way like dumbfounded and quickly withdraw, then went to talk to the Buddha, talk to the real Buddha. And then repeated what happened to the Buddha. And the Buddha said, you must know that that lay lady disciple, she has already, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, have already opened the Dharma eye. Yeah. What does that mean? It means Sotapanna and the birth radio. Yeah. So you see, in, in Buddhism, uh, many times we hear people talk about how they, they went to see this, this teacher or, 
uh, attended this talk and wow, how wonderful, wow, or just because people say that this teacher is uh, enlightened or a bodhisattva or whatever, then we tend to just accept and believe, but not measure what the person said on his own merit. But in the Buddha's time, uh, the lay disciples, uh, perhaps I should, I should also say that because she is really enlightened, uh, she is not so easily duped like, uh, uh, like those who are, you know. So, if you do see someone, <laughs> let's, let's skip the walk seven steps part. Uh. If you ever encounter someone who claimed to be enlightened, or who is said to be enlightened, you shouldn't simply because there is such a claim then accept or refute the person. But you should then listen and ask for teachings and then compare with what the Buddha has said, yeah? whether in words or in essence, and then determine whether it's true or not. Yeah? That is the correct measurement. Oh. So uh, please turn to page 53, verse 21. We continue with the list of qualities that is distinct. This is uh, continuing from the uh, Venerable Ananda's recollection. I heard and learned this from the Blessed One's own lips. When the Bodhisattva came forth from his mother's womb, an immeasurable great radiance surpassing the divine majesty of the Devas appeared in the world with its Devas Mara and Brahma in this population with its ascetics and Brahmins. Eh? Somehow I'm, I'm, I have a feeling. Oh, this is similar to the yeah, verse 7. Yeah. With its devas and human beings. And even in those abysmal world intervals of vacancy, gloom, and utter darkness, where the moon and the sun mighty and powerful as they are, cannot make their light prevail. There too, an immeasurable great radiance, surpassing the divine majesty of the devas, appeared in the world. And the beings reborn there perceive each other by that light. So indeed, there are also other beings reborn here. And this 10,000-fold world system shook, quaked, and trembled and there too an immeasurable great radiance surpassing the divine majesty of the devas appeared in the world. That when the Bodhisattva came forth from his mother's womb, an immeasurable great radiance surpassing the divine majesty of the devas appeared in the world. And again, the dot 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 would be uh, an abridging, yeah, as per the previous section, uh, verse 7. Yeah. So here, uh, surpassing the divine majesty of the devas appear in the world, and it will continue with, with the same, all those verses. Uh, so these two I remember as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Blessed One. Uh, um, I'm going to finish with the next two paragraphs, then do some explanation, and after that, uh, we'll go through it as, as before. That being so, Ananda, remember these two as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. Here, Ananda, 
for the Tathagata feelings are known as they arise. Oh, for the Tathagata, feelings are known as they arise, as they are present, and as they, are, they disappear. Perceptions are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Thoughts are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Remember this too, Ananda, as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. Venerable Sir, since for the Blessed Ones, feelings are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear, perceptions are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear, thoughts are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear, these two I remember as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Blessed One. That is what the Venerable Ananda said, the teacher approved, the monks were satisfied and delighted in the Venerable Ananda's words. So here the teacher refers to uh, the Buddha. Uh, so this, from verse 21 um, onwards to verse 23, uh, 21 is, is similar to verse 7. Uh, but 21 is about how when the Buddha or when the Bodhisattva come forth from the mother's womb. Yeah? Whereas in verse 7, it is about the Bodhisattva entering into the mother's womb. Uh, one is entering into the womb, the other one is existing from the womb. Yeah. So again, uh, did any of y'all, when y'all are born, then there was great radiance in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing that is very um, unique about the, the uh, Buddha's teaching is, you see, this is unique to the Buddha. Yeah? Uh, but this is not unique, or this is not said about his disciples. But his disciples, although not born in this way, can attain arahanthood. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, in Buddhism, liberation is not tied to these specific qualities. Yeah. So while these are unique qualities of the Buddha, uh, the way to attain enlightenment does not require you to have been born in this way. Uh, and to me, this is a very crucial part. Mm. Yes. This is a bit circular here because technically it's a bodhisattva that actually descend through the womb to become the Buddha. Yeah. So means they already achieve arahanthood already. Bodhisattva already achieve arahanthood. A bodhisattva would have already achieved arahanthood. So not necessarily so. Oh, so a bodhisattva does not. Uh, depending on the stage of the bodhisattva. Okay, mm. stage seven and above. Yeah. But let's let's go along with your yeah, your train your thoughts. train of thoughts. Okay. If the Bodhisattva has reached and surpassed the Arahant stage of uh, of discernment, then what then, is the question? Um, the if the Bodhisattva is descended, uh, then he is already an Arahant, right? Already an Arahant. Okay, let's say because in this case he is going to be the Buddha. Yes. 
so is it because so this whole journey is it just a show that he's playing to teach sentient beings the path? Well, if you go by the or yeah. if you go by the Mahayana teachings, yes. then yes, this is uh, this is basically a show and tell <laughs> process where the Bodhisattva goes through this process and uh, presents to the the whole Saha world yeah. how enlightenment is possible. Can yeah, can be achieved. Yeah. It's, it's much like how, you know, in class, let's say in a maths class, the teacher would write the question and sometimes go through the whole working. But actually, maybe every year he, she's, he or she is presenting the same question, you know, yeah, y equals to 3ax squared plus 4x four, plus minus 6 or something, yeah. Uh, so it's not that he, she has not solved the equation. In fact, she must have solved it in order to present yeah. it. Yeah. There's a lot of suffering to go through to just showcase something. Right? Yeah, but what to do? Otherwise, you're not convinced. And even after doing that, people are still not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you catch his question? Yeah. So, um, yeah, in the Mahana teachings, we say that uh, the bodhisattvas, uh, or the Buddhas, if you will, will only go through this process uh, repeatedly, not just once. But as and when there are conditions, opportunities to, to present the truth, or necessity to present the truth, they will arise again. Yeah, they will arise again. Yeah. I would say that it is actually not too far-fetched. Because if you think about it, for those of you who are parents, by the time you reach parenthood, you are definitely capable of walking as fast as you want and even run. But for the sake of your young toddler or your young child, baby, you would willingly walk slowly with your child and not say, hey, how come you cannot walk faster? I walk, you know. But you'll be willing to really hold the hand of your child and walk as slow as the child. Are there parents who are impatient and just drag the child along? Maybe, yeah. But most parents would be willing to go through that anyway, and actually wouldn't feel like it is a burden. Yeah. So I would say that in a similar way, the Buddha uh, and Bodhisattvas willingly go through this process. Yeah. Without the thought of ah, this is so burdensome. I, uh, why are you also, <laughs> you know. So, any thoughts? Any other thoughts? Yes? So, if one bird is one quality, then what is the bird quality? What do you think? You don't know? Anybody else? Yes. Have you, so, have you thought about the, your, your own question? Yeah, I can't search for the first quality. You can't search for your own, the first quality. Yes, Lily. What is the first quality?
Pindaka Anatta Pindaka Spark. What's your question? What's your question again? If every verse is one quality, then what is the first quality? Because all can count, but only the first one don't have. One, but the first one don't have. Uh, the number one there don't have any quality. You don't see any quality. No. Okay. When I say that verse number three is a quality, verse number two is a quality, I'm referring to the point. If you look at page fifty-one, paragraph number three. Then from here, there is the start of the description of the Tathagata's wonderful and marvelous qualities. Then, um, wait, wait. Do you, do you, do you, did you, can you, yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you catch this part first? Yeah. You can, right? So, you see, this is a sutta. The start, the, the paragraphing, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. This is done by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi. This is the paragraphing done by him. I happen to just refer to verse number 3, verse number 4. Otherwise, I have to tell you, you all go and count how many paragraphs. <laughs> Which line? Wait, hang on, hang on. So, if you look at this sutra, the opening is, Tas have I heard. Right? So, Huh? Um, oh, you thought it was fifty-two. The number nine jump to fourteen. Yeah. Five yes, but the as, as I told you, the numbering is not tied to the quality. The numbering is just verbal bhikkhu bodhis breaking down of the paragraph into sections. But so if you refer to, have you read Majima Nikaya 26, Arya Hariyesana Sutta? Yes. You read through the whole Sutta? Uh, from this book. Yeah, but that is not the whole Sutta. Oh. Yeah, that's not the whole Sutta. If you <laughs> let me just pull out access to inside for you all. Oh, I never noticed that the numbering actually jumps. I just read. Okay, so you see, I've explained before 
no you can come and sit here there's an empty seat here come come and sit here so you have every one of them to thank <laughs> <laughs> so i have explained before that what we have here <laughs> I've explained before that what you have in this text are extract from the full sutta. Yeah? So if we if you were to go and refer to Majima Nikaya uh, number twenty-six, Arya Pariyesana Sutta, the noble search, it would start with I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying at Savati in Jeta's Grove, Anatta Pendika's Park or Monastery in the same similar way. Yeah? So, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi um, is starting the quote from para 5 in his own paragraphing. Why, why can he do that? Because he has translated virtually the four Nikayas already. Yeah? And he's extracting this part because the earlier part has um, similar similar description as the previous section. Yeah. So it is number five based on based on the the, the paragraphing. It has nothing to do with whether this is number quality number five and so on. Huh? Any other questions? Yes, Lily? Uh -huh. Yes. Yes. When we say he has five aggregates, uh, conventionally that's that's the that's how we say it, la. Yeah. So as far as the Tathagata's five aggregates are concerned, he has this awareness. Mm. So when he, when he observes himself, it's not like us when we react to it, but he just observes the Depends on what you mean by it's different. Because for us, it's like, you know, relax. There's feeling when we react to it. And it can change to another cause. Right. Another feeling. Yeah. But for the Buddha himself, how was, how is his reaction? He just observed the rising pleasure and the Um I would say that if we just look at the text itself, um, the Buddha is highlighting that um, that as f feelings arise, he's, he is aware as they arise. Whereas for us, as they arise, we are not, many times we are not aware, yeah. and we just, as you put it, we just respond to it, or we are oblivious of it. Mm. If it's a pleasant feeling or painful feeling, we respond to it. If it's neither painful nor pleasant, we are just oblivious of it. Whereas for the Buddha, he knows it as it arises. Um, and from that process, then the Buddha wouldn't respond or react the way we usually react. Yeah. However, uh, I want to make a distinction that 
it doesn't mean that the Buddha is just a bystander, like a CCTV recording everything, but don't do anything. Uh. Uh, so as he observed, he also can react, except that he don't react out of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, that's the key thing. Uh, not so much that the Buddha simply don't react. Uh, 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 so uh, that's one key distinction. Any other thoughts or questions about this part? Are we good? Reacts appropriately. Yeah, when necessary. Uh, okay. So if there are no other reactions, <laughs> then I will, we will proceed on to quest for section 3, the quest for enlightenment. The first two sections is about the way the Buddha is and certain uh, distinct features of the Buddha. So in this section, seeking the supreme state of sublime peace, uh, page 54, verse or para para 5, monks, there are these two kinds of search, the noble search and the ignoble search. And what is the ignoble search? Here, someone being himself subject to birth, six, what is also subject to birth, being himself subject to aging, he seeks what is also subject to aging, being himself subject to sickness, he seeks what is also subject to sickness, being himself subject to death, he seeks what is also subject to death, being himself subject to sorrow, he seeks what is also subject to sorrow, being himself subject to defilement, he seeks what is also subject to defilement. So this is the opening. Uh, the two kinds of search, one the noble, the other one the ignoble search. Uh, noble search, the original text is Arya. Yeah, Arya in the Chinese translation is Shen. Yeah, Shen. Shen would, uh, in the Buddhist usage, we usually refer to it as uh, being, uh, being in an enlightened stage that we call sun. Yeah? Uh, but in the typical English translation, Aryan is literally translated as noble. Yeah? As noble. Uh, I have shared in various classes before about how uh, <laughs> I, I, I have my own pet peeve about this, this usage or this translation. Uh, however, Aryan being a word in itself, uh, perhaps have that meaning of being noble, yeah. Uh, but in the Chinese translation, is is not translated as chun gui, yeah. But uh, being shen, yeah. Come, uh, the chair. Just now you took away, Louis, the chair. Uh, now there's someone who can sit. So the description here starts off with the ignoble search. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, Two of his disciples, 
who had similar reflection, yeah, uh, but not the ignoble way. <coughs> Venerable Sariputra <coughs> and Venerable uh, Mahamugalana, uh, the two of them I've shared before about how uh, while they were having these few days, like three days of, of uh, uh, like watching some performances that they, they actually set up. Then, after the first day, on the second day, at the end of the second day's performance, when they went back, they actually reflected and considered these actors. They themselves, they are subject to aging, subject to sickness and death. How can they bring me true happiness? Yeah. Uh, so, Venerable Sariputra and Venerable Mahamogalana, they, was, they still didn't know the Buddha. Yeah? Uh, but while they were in the midst of enjoyment, you can say that, while they were in the midst of watching a movie, I mean, okay, in those days, not a movie, uh, a play, yeah, if you will, yeah, they were able to have this reflection. And that's what prompted them to, to just put all that aside and uh, go forth and seek, seek out a teacher who can teach them the way to end suffering, yeah? the way to true happiness in a, in a way. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next paragraph. Mm. <coughs> and what may be said to be subject to birth, aging, sickness and death, to sorrow and defilement, wife and children, men and women slaves, goats and sheep, fowl and pigs, elephants, cattle, horse, horses and mares, gold and silver, these acquisitions are subject to birth, aging, sickness and death, to sorrow and defilement, and one who is tied to these things, infatuated with them, and utterly absorbed in them, being himself subject to birth, to sorrow and defilement, seeks what is also subject to birth, to sorrow and defilement. Thank you. So, <clears throat> the first part uh, gives only, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah? Birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, defilement. Then, after that, goes through a list of different items that are uh, subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death, to sorrow and defilement. Yeah, so, um, the following, wife and children, men and women, slaves, and so on, all these are subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death, to sorrow and defilement. Yeah? Huh? Uh, so don't, don't read it and just think that it's listing out these items uh, alone. <clears throat> it is highlighting that these are what is subject to uh, the very problem. And if you, uh, the implication is that if you were to seek, seek out this, uh, this, th this list, wife and children and so on, uh, they are not free of birth, aging, sickness and death. Not free of sorrow and defilement. So if you seek them, they cannot bring you freedom from birth, aging, sickness and death. From sorrow and defilement. Now, this, is the, this is the key thing here. Okay? So inside, there is all the dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's an expansion of what is <coughs> being elaborated. Uh, 
Now, I want to highlight also that here it says wife and children. There are many times where the focus seems to be on women. But it's because in the initial part of his teaching, uh, it was primarily to the monks. Yeah, because the nuns came in later when he went back to Kapilavastu and then uh, uh, his foster mother, Queen Maha Prajapati, uh, joined the order. And even then, the Buddha don't always hang out with the nuns and give teachings to them. He just go wherever he, he would be. Uh, and it's just that at that point in time, there were typically monks around. Yeah? Uh, so many of the teachings would seem to be directed towards uh, um, men and then referencing women. But in many suttas where it is, uh, it is also referenced to nuns, then he sh they were, the Buddha would highlight uh, the attachment to, to men and so on and so forth. Uh, so the, I want to highlight this. Uh, and you can see that following wife and children, uh, then there's mention about men and women slaves. Uh, so it's not simply just one-sided, all about women being a problem. Uh, no. Okay? Uh, I also, the last thing I want to highlight about this section is you, <laughs> you notice things like men and women slaves, goats and sheep, fowl and pigs, but they all have goats and sheep at home. Huh? Yeah. You have? The fridge. Soft toys. Uh. Here he's talking about real goats and sheep. Uh. Hello? Not real. <laughs> Elephants, cattle. How about gold and silver? Uh, you all have your own gold and silver. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you should know that this is the Buddha just listing out what is common at that point in time. And it's just a subset. Yeah, just a subset. So, today it should, you should, when you go through this reflection, uh, extend to cover everything and consider. Yeah. Hey, this thing that I have, this thing that perhaps I'm attached to, um, is it also subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death? Yeah? When it comes to physical items like gold and silver, um, will, will gold and silver fall sick? Not really, isn't it? Yeah? So the, the, the sickness here refers to it like uh, undergoing damage or decay. Yeah? Uh, so don't assume that, like, eh, hey, handphone, okay, uh, handphone can fall sick. Uh. <laughs> yeah. uh, so just to clarify this part. So then from this, we go to para 12, uh, and what is the noble search? And what is the noble search? Here, someone being himself subject to birth, having understood the danger in what is subject to birth, seeks this unborn supreme security from bondage. Nibbana, being himself subject to aging, having understood the danger in what is subject to aging, he seeks the unaging supreme security from bondage. Nibbana, being himself subject to sickness, having understood the danger in what is subject to sickness, he seeks the unailing supreme security from bondage. Nibbana, being himself subject to death. Uh, I want to pause. Stop laughing. <laughs> Having understood the danger in what is subject to death, he seeks the deathless supreme security from bondage, Nibbana. 
being himself subject to sorrow, having understood the danger in what is subject to sorrow, he seeks the sorrowless supreme security from bondage, Nibbana, being himself subject to defilement, having understood the danger in what is subject to defilement, he seeks the undefiled supreme security from bondage, Nibbana, that this is the noble search. Thank you. Mm. You see, when you, when you hear that, Nibbana, yeah? can you feel the impact? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you go through paragraph 12, you'll find that the Buddha actually uh, juxtaposition the qualities of Nibbana uh, and sort of like do a, do a comparison. Uh, whereas the earlier part, all those worldly things, they are subject to birth. Here, Nibbana is described as the unborn supreme security. Yeah? Uh, aging, then is described as the unaging supreme security. Uh, sickness, the unailing. Ail is sick. Yeah? Mm. Unailing supreme security. Then death, described as the deathless supreme security. Uh, sorrow, described as the sorrowless supreme security. Yeah? And lastly, subject to defilement, described as the undefiled supreme security. Yeah? So there's this contrast. Yeah? Contrast between uh, the worldly things that uh, people usually s search for in the ignoble search. Whereas the noble search seeks that which is uh, the direct opposite. You know, the direct opposite. Any thoughts or questions? No? So, mm. Actually, one question that relates to previous about the show that the Buddha has is leading to. It's okay. like, I'm sorry, I'm still stuck there because okay. the, a lot of, I, I read before that some of the um, disciples are also previous Buddhas or Bodhisattvas. So meaning they are also playing a some, show. In some ways, in some texts it does say so. Oh, okay. Yeah. So being happy, like Mahamogalama has to be beaten to death, that, um, beaten to death, that is also a show. Mm. I would have thought if he has achieved Ar Arhanput, those karmic uh, consequences would no longer have to be born. So, <clears throat> uh, the question about, so there are, there are two questions here. Mm. One is, uh, how about the other disciples of the Buddha? Mm. Are they also simply uh, sort of like putting on a show uh, to assist the Buddha in uh, giving the Dhamma. teachings. Yeah. Uh, in some of the texts, it does highlight certain key disciples uh, who actually play such a role. Not all. Uh. Not all. Yeah, not all. Uh, number one. Number two, um, in my, my late teacher once shared this. Uh, he says, for for us, being unenlightened, when we come into the teachings, we hope to be spared from the consequences of our evil wrongdoing. Yeah, we come to Buddhism to hope, hey, poppy, poppy, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, at, 
at, at the most, 重罪轻受,轻罪免受, <laughs> yeah? If it's a heavy karma, let me just experience a mild taste of it. If it's a light karma, then maybe can just, you can just wave it off. Uh. Uh, this is what we hope to have. Uh, then he highlighted, he says, but for the Bodhisattvas yeah. and the enlightened ones, they don't have this mindset. For the Bodhisattvas, the enlightened ones, if they really did something wrong, and now that person wants to kind of take revenge, or now it's the right thing, they willingly, it's okay, come. They, they don't have that issue. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that issue. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good answer. And again, I want to give you a real life example. It's a sad answer for the unenlightened. Yeah, but that's how we are. In the Chinese culture, we, uh, Chinese Buddhism, we have this set of verse saying, Fan Fu Wei Guo, Fu Sa Wei Yin. Wei means fearful. So, unenlightened ones, we are fearful of the results. Only the results, yeah. That means the painful results. While we are afraid, hell while we are afraid. But those acts that lead to hell, I don't care. <laughs> uh, now I'm very angry. I must do this. Or now I have what this desire. I must do this. Yeah. We don't think much about the consequences. Uh, we don't think much about the action itself. That it is harmful is wrong. Yeah, but we are afraid of the results. For Enlightened ones, yeah, the enlightened ones, they are fearful of creating the very cause itself, yeah, knowing that it causes suffering, yeah, not just for themselves, you know, but for others. Uh, this is a distinction. Uh, in fact, in real life, uh, we can see this also. Uh, sometimes we may play games with our kids, huh? as in literally play games and when we play games with them we are ready to lose we are ready to to sometimes uh, face the consequences uh, when we play wrongly and lose yeah we are okay why because we know that it's a game and the whole point of us playing the game is not because we want to win <laughs> it's not because we are so interested in the game yeah but we are just uh, using the game to interact with our children or our nieces and nephews. Yeah? And through that game, we are hoping to sometimes build rapport, sometimes to teach them some qualities. I always recall how last time I played uh, dumb or what we call checkers with my uncle. And there was once or twice I warned my uncle. And I went to my mom and said, Whoa, And then my mom looked at me and laugh and say, <laughs> and I was quite upset, you know, I was like, no, I want it through my own effort, you know, yeah, but my uncle never said anything, he said, no, 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 you are, you are very good, <laughs> yeah. so, actually, actually, if you, if you ever see this happening, you should not disclose it, you understand, you should not disclose it, because there's a reason why that uncle let the nephew or niece win. <laughs> it is to build up the rapport. Even disclose it, if, if it's really disclosed, then the, 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 the kid would feel like, oh, that way, you know, feel worthless, you know. <laughs> yeah. But of course, in the case of my mom, uh, she was 
I, I like to think that she was concerned that maybe the son's ego would become too big. Uh. Uh, so we have to use wisdom. Uh. So, um, so ignoble and ignoble search. Uh, billing. The next paragraph. Monks before my enlightenment. Monks before my enlightenment, while well, I'm still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, I too being myself subject to birth, slot work was also subject to birth, being myself subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and defilement. I slot work was also subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and defilement. Then I consider that why being myself subject to birth, do I see what is also subject to birth? Why being myself subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and deformance, do I seek what is also subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and deformance? Suppose that being myself subject to birth, having understood the danger in what is subject to birth, I seek the upon to bring security from bondage, nibbana. Suppose that being myself subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and deformance, Having understood the danger in what is subject to aging, sinners, death, sorrow, and deformance, I seek the unaging, unailing, ailing, deathless, sorrowness, deathless, deathless, sorrowness, and undefiled, from bondage. Thank you. Uh, so this this paragraph will be uh, what. Uh, Venerable, Anand, uh, Venerable Sariputra and Venerable Mahamuglana reflected on. Yeah? That w why should I seek that which is the problem? Let me seek something, uh, look for a solution. Yeah? Uh, so this is the, the path. Uh, when they say it's unenlightened bodhisattva, again, uh. it's meaning stage 6 and before, or actually in this case, it's just like a stage 0, a lay folk like us, that take a precept to be a bodhisattva, but not even stage one. Because I mm. remember you said stage one is a release, was it two? Stage one is enlightened already. Enlightened yeah. already, right. Yeah. So, um, here, there are probably some context involved. Uh. Mm. Yeah. I believe here we refer to that he has not attained Buddhahood. Buddhahood. Uh, that means at that point in time, he has not attained Buddhahood. And Buddhahood means stage ten, right? Uh, no. Specifically, in this context, yeah. is referring to that before my enlightenment, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, here, his enlightenment referring to Buddhahood, specifically Buddhahood. Yeah? Yeah, so here, when he says, I was still an unenlightened Buddhisattva, he's referring to him still practicing the path and not a Buddha yet. Not Buddha yet. Yes. But already enlightened. Okay. But as to which stage? Yeah. Uh, this is not apparent, and I can't, I can't commit, yeah. commit to which stage he is in. Uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with reference mm -hmm. to this part of the text. <coughs> oh. mm. Being subject to birth. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but here it is. Returner, you will still be subject to birth. Yeah, but here you see, this part, this part could well be that it was right at the start mm. of his cultivation, the three Asankhya Kalpas. This, because this is the Buddha telling the monks mm. that way before my enlightenment, when I was still an unenlightened Bodhisattva. Mm. It means you already have this thought, how to attain Buddhahood, uh, but still not reach anywhere here. And then he started having this thought, hey, why don't I seek the deathless? Why don't I seek 
the one, the, 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 that which is beyond birth, aging, sickness and death and so on. Uh, this series of texts, uh, rightly speaking, should refer to his uh, final birth if you look at the following sections. Should refer to the, his final birth. Yeah. So if you consider, when he was a prince, he saw the different sites. Yeah. He saw the three sites, which is aging, sickness and death. Then he saw an ascetic. And in this process, then he considered, um, how can I be free of aging, sickness, and death? Yeah. So these are the reflections and these are the thoughts that came about. Mm. And ultimately, is what compelled him to decide, why don't I seek that which is uh, beyond birth, aging, sickness, and death? Oh. Yeah, so the unenlightened part refers to him not having reached Buddhahood. Any other questions or thoughts? So, uh, yes. The, this Buddha, uh, in that, that this last line here, yes. went through this state to show us that we follow this and the Yes. So, if he, uh, before that, has already this wish as a Bodhisattva to get until he reached the state, mm. which means the previous, last previous life, Doing the same thing. Let me hold my thought first, okay. and your question, and then. So, if that's the case. Yeah, if that's the case, then during his childhood, until he became a wouldn't he have remembered or known what he has been practicing or mm. so many other Hmm. Okay. Yes, he should have known. So if he should have known, means he is still going through this searching and going and practicing all the different uh, extreme and go through the stage. To highlight, and, and that's where, uh, in some cases, uh, it would appear controversial. Yeah. Uh, but that's where the Mahayana text highlighted that. Yeah, that's the whole point. If you don't go through all that, he would not be a convincing uh, person for those who are practicing extreme asceticism. Because, and, and in many ways, I would, like, last time when I heard that, I'm like a bit contrived. I feel that, personally, uh, I felt that it was a bit contrived. Like, why, why must he go through all the trouble? But later, when I read through the four Nikayas, uh, except for Anguttara Nikaya, which is an anthology, then I chance upon one particular sutta, <laughs> there was one particular sutta where he highlighted uh, the fallacy of or the futility of, uh, for example, the extreme ascetism. And he highlighted, as far as this practice is concerned, I've done it to the max. Nobody has done it more, th more than me. Yeah. So he was able to convince people 
uh, in that way because he has already done and everybody knows that he has done so, so extreme. Uh, so for those who practice extreme asceticism, he's able to then convince. If he himself, himself never tried it before, he may not be able to uh, reach out to them. In which case, <clears throat> a number of his disciples were actually from those groups as well, namely the five ascetics, yeah, including others. Uh, so from this angle, for me, uh, I start to be able to appreciate that, yeah, um, he probably went through that as part of the process to highlight that, yeah, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, Oh, that he choose the rebirth. Because I thought about this, remember, it's the same uh, question I asked during SGC. So yes, yes. I thought about this. It could be that uh, Bodhisattva, who is going to be the Buddha, right, chose all the right yin right, all uh -huh. the causes and conditions, such that throughout this life, the defilements will gather during the birth uh, to, the, to the stage where he becomes a prince and subject to all the lusts and a whole harem of, of, uh, <laughs> of his princess. No, I mean, there's a few. Then, um, so there's all the causes and conditions that's there in order to play that show, that, that path. Meaning that the whole process is still a real phenomenon. Right. That, that means he's not aware of it during that, that uh, age 1 to 35. He is not enlightened. He doesn't remember those things between age 1 and age 35. So if you go by the... Mahana school of thought, mm. then we must uh, uh, state very clearly that mm. he is actually aware. So Mahayana school says that he, he, each one to 35 he's he is aware. aware. In fact, in some texts, he even highlighted that this is not the, the first time he attained, he, he put on this, this display. Yeah. This is not the first time he do the demo. Uh, he has done the demo many times already. Uh, so the Mahayana text, okay. Yeah, quite, quite clearly quite stated. Clearly stated. This is not his first time putting on the demo. But if he's, uh, if he's aware, why, why would he get married? Well, to that's, show, the, that's the process. Yeah, to show to the people that even if you're married, you still can. <laughs> <coughs> but how about uh, Theravada? Well, Theravada, uh, do I need to explain? Theravada <laughs> is basically that, yeah, he was a prince, he attended like... He saw the three sides, he, and then saw the fourth, he left the family life, practiced, and attained enlightenment. Then what person says it's not possible that after he attained enlightenment, he remember anything? Huh? I mean, after the age 35, when he really attained enlightenment, uh -huh. then he remember all, all the past. Is that what no. the person said? Uh, so I think Sufu is saying that she's quoting what you said yeah. Yeah, that's, but that's not what you said right? yeah. what I say uh, is basically when the um, Buddha, Buddha was born, born. Each after he say all the seven uh, the steps the miracle then yes. after that he, he seemed to he seemed to yeah. become he like a normal slowly gather the defilements yes. uh, but uh, in the Theravada text uh, it's quite clearly that he grow wet. so Bhikkhu Bodhi actually is Theravada yeah, yeah. He's still he believes that he actually said all that and then he becomes a prince mm. but not remembering all, all the past lives. Right? Mm. Oh, but only be... after he attained enlightenment. I see. Yeah. yeah. So he only remembers after he attains. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, that's actually what I say. Yeah. 
fundamentally, as far as this this set of this category of questions are concerned, uh, there are these two school of thoughts. If you follow the classical teaching, Theravadan school, then basically you shouldn't be concerned about any of this. <laughs> you should be concerned about noble eightfold path mm. and uh, the four noble truth. Yeah. Whereas if you uh, if you subscribe to the Mahayana teachings, then it's a. To me now, uh, in the past, I'm half-hearted with the Mahayana Bodhisattva path. Honestly speaking, I'm like, uh, this is a bit too far-fetched, you know. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, for a long time, even after I ordained, I'm like, uh, no, I, I think I'll just stick to the Pali Canon. Yeah. Uh, but over the years, I start to see that the the Mahayana Sutras presents a a framework that is actually not so far fetched, um, and actually gels up and links up the a, a much larger picture. Uh, I can't say that I must say that I'm. Uh, perhaps strongly influenced by my late ordination teacher. Uh, one thing he, he posed to us, he says, if you consider that the Buddha cultivated for three Asankhya Kalpas, for, lo- for many, many, uh, how, how long? Uh? And how can, if you compare that with just observing the, observing, let's say, the, the eight precepts for one day, one night, uh, the marriage should be much more. Then how can it just culminate in 80 years of lifespan? And that's it. Boom. Yeah. So he, he suggests that the marriage is immeasurable. Yeah? And most importantly, that in the Mahana framework, when a person cultivates up to stage 10, known as the Pusa, that means a Bodhisattva with equivalent um, realization as that of the Buddha. That is the point where then, okay, uh, it, in a way, sometimes in class I will mention about how uh, then the Bodhisattva would go to the waiting room uh, and then with a, I, I joke about, you know, it's not, okay, key thing, uh, it's not, it's not like you will go to waiting room with a number and then, uh, what is your number? <laughs> wow, three, two, seven, six, eight. Oh, mine is 1024. <laughs> yeah? uh, it's not that. Yeah? But the Bodhisattvas, once they have reached stage 10, then uh, they, the, the thing that, uh, the, 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 the remaining thing that is uh, needed is the conditions of sentient beings. It's the conditions of sentient beings. When there are conditions in sentient beings, to learn from a Tathagata, then the Bodhisattva would, and, and they don't fight, uh, they, whoever have the conditions, they will arise, and then they would go through that process to restate the Four Noble Truth. Um, in the past, in the past, uh, I have, uh, I don't know why, but I have a lot of questions about all this. Yeah, but today, I, I see this and I, yeah, and I will tell you, it's just like 
a person having finished uh, a course in NIE, NTU, is a full full fledged teacher. But until the term starts, he don't she, he or she don't function as a teacher. Until the posting to a particular school, she's not a teacher in function. But he has he or she has the full qualities of a teacher. Yeah, what is this teacher waiting for? Waiting for the students to come to school. Whenever there are, there are students coming to the school, then the teacher will appear and teach. And when the class is over, finish. And each year, the teacher will explain the same thing again, <laughs> because there are new students, and will again explain as though, uh, you know, like this is the first time she's explaining. Yeah. Uh, so this is my understanding now. Uh, but I must highlight. Uh, I don't see it as a requirement that everybody must accept this framework. Because having gone through that process myself, uh, I don't see a point to sh shoehorn you all into this mindset, that you all must accept this. Yeah, everybody will have your own path, path uh, to come to that. Hey, yeah, now I can see that yeah, this is really the way. Yeah. In the Heart Sutra class, I would often draw the one line and then three asankaya kappa. Yeah. And then I will highlight that. For us, wow, this seems a long time. Uh. Wow, <laughs> you practice practice, finally you attain Buddhahood. But today I see that this whole chunk, three asankaya kappa, is actually just the start. Because after that, then on and on, the Bodhisattva is ready to sometimes appear as a Buddha, sometimes appear as a lay person, sometimes appear as an unenlightened, and act like unenlightened. Yeah. If that is what it takes to, to teach someone, they would willingly go through that. Yeah. Whereas for us now at this point, wow, Buddha put very, very good uh, and very difficult. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So to me, this, this uh, macro picture within the Mahayana school is what I, uh, I consider a very comprehensive uh, uh, picture. Yeah. Uh, but if you feel that it's a bit, you know, like fly across your head, uh, feel free to stick to the classical teachings and just focus on Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path. Uh, after all, there are many people who ask the Buddha, so what happened after, you, you, uh, after enlightenment? The Buddha says, don't, don't worry about that part. <laughs> worry about getting enlightened first. Yeah. Oh. Okay? So, <coughs> uh, para 14, uh, Lily. <coughs> So you can see that this section here is about the Buddha uh, ultimately leaving uh, family life. Uh, but when you see this description, uh, when I first read this sutra, then I was like, oh, so it's not immediately. Uh. Uh, but you must realize that most of the time we learn about the life of the Buddha, 
either through some performance during Vesak Day or through some movies. So usually in movies, it's very short, shortened. Eh? Yeah, something that happened over a few years is shortened over a few scenes. Yeah. So from this, um, it would seem that after seeing the, the sights, uh, he didn't immediately next next day tapau and then just run off. Uh. Yeah. Uh, but it's not clear or evident how long it took. Yeah, whether it's one week, two weeks, or three months. Huh? Uh, I would uh, in the past when we were at Louis' place, we don't ask everybody to read. Uh. Uh, I would not ask my mom to read. Uh, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you all have issue with that, I will read on behalf of her. <laughs> Anybody with issue? <laughs> okay. So, uh, HK? Thank you. Mm. So, as we uh, have uh, read before or uh, seen before in uh, various accounts, uh, the Buddha, after leaving the home life, went to find uh, first learn under two teachers, yeah, Alara and then secondly Udaka. So Alara Kalama, and he went to him, asked to learn Dharma and discipline, yeah. Uh, the Pali term would be Dhamma Vinaya. Yeah? So in the Buddha's time, there's no such a concept as oh, learn your religion or something, you know? Yeah. Dhamma, referring to the principles, the teachings. Then discipline, referring to the code of conduct, the manner of, of practice. Yeah. So in, in some ways, it refers to the principles and practices that this teacher or that teacher would advocate and teach. Yeah. In this case, it is under this, this person, Alara, Alara Kalama, uh, who teach him uh, a form of meditation. Yeah. So, uh, the one thing I want to highlight is that, so Dhamma and discipline is a general term. Yeah. It's not specific to say that or only what the Buddha taught is considered Dhamma Vinaya. Okay? Yeah. It just refers to the teachings and the practices that is being taught. Yeah. In this case, it's from Alara Kalama. Uh, Jia Ling, yes.
Thank you. Yes. So, uh, so this is base. This base of nothingness is the third level uh, of uh, attainment, as far as the four bases uh, are concerned. Yeah. Uh, so there is the. <laughs> this is where there are some parts of the Buddha's uh, teaching I learned in Mandarin. Then some part in English, yeah. So this is what we call the si kong ding, what you call kong wu bian chu ding, shi wu bian chu ding, wu suo you chu ding, fei xiang fei fei xiang chu ding. This is the wu suo you chu ding. Yeah. Then the last one is okay. I will explain in English. English, okay. Don't worry. Yeah. So the first one is uh, base of infinite space. Yeah, base of infinite space. Second one is base of infinite consciousness. The third one is this base of nothingness, and then the fourth one is base of neither perception nor non-perception. Yeah, uh, this four is considered the formless concentration because the focus itself has no physical form, as compared to the form concentration, where the way to practice, you start off with something that is physical. Now the link between uh, form and formless concentration is uh, extremely interesting. Yeah. So uh, to give you a brief, uh, wait, uh, I, uh, is it okay for me to go to, to describe to you all the brief connection? Yes. Okay, uh, so it's very interesting to me. I don't know whether it's interesting to you, but let me just <laughs> just humor me a while. Uh. So um, consider this: if now I were to we were to say uh, focus on, let's say, this paper towel, yeah. Uh, don't consider the oil stain on it. Let's say don't we don't use the paper towel. We use this, okay? And let's just focus on the part without the grooves, okay? And if if you can if you can find one part that is very uniform and white in color, uh, and if I were to say now, try to capture the image, yeah, of whiteness, okay? And just imbue whiteness in your mind, yeah. You stare at it for a while, and then you close your eyes and try to perceive maybe just a small spot as a as a start, yeah. And if you do this repeatedly until you can mentally capture an image of the white spot, yeah. And then slowly, in your mind, at will, be able to display this white color uh, circle, if you will. And over time. Uh, Gain mastery in what sense, such that you can permeate this white this larger and larger until you can encompass your whole field of vision. Yeah, uh, at will, up to the point where when you open your eyes, you can even consider everything to be uniformly white. Okay, to that degree. Yeah, then such that when you are in concentration, you just Bask yourself in this whiteness, and in this whiteness, because everything is white, 
then there's no reason for you to have likes and dislikes. Uh. Yeah. And then the mind can become super calm, super uh, 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 tranquil, and becomes focused, and then you can reach very deep uh, state that we call jhana. Okay? And then if you can maintain that with stability up to the point where you can encompass an infinite space with this whiteness. Mm. Yeah. And I'm sort of jumping a few steps to say, okay, you reach all the way to fourth jhana where you are able to maintain this very stably. From this point to the formless uh, base of infinite space is where, take for example, now if I were to say, uh, consider a circle. Yeah? If, if I just say consider a circle, in your mind, how do you do it? Maybe in your mind you draw a circle. Yeah. So then, if I were to say, consider a space occupied by a circle. How? Uh, a bit difficult, right? Uh, then, now, can you see this room? How big this room is? The fact that we can see how big this room is, is really because there's all the wall. Yeah, so it is, this space is defined by the boundaries of the wall. Now if you take out the wall, it may be a bit hard. Without the wall present at the first place, it's hard to simply say, okay, uh, maybe this is like 20 by 15 or by 10 meter kind of room. Hard to visualize. But now that you know roughly this is how big it is, uh, now I say, okay, visualize a 20 by 10 meter uh, wide uh, room. Uh, you can use this as a reference, but ignore the, the walls. Yeah? So similarly, from the fourth jhana to... I, I'm laughing, not laughing at you. I'm laughing because it's exciting for me. Uh. So then to the, to the first base state, of base of infinite space, it is similar. Once you are able to encompass all infinite space with whatever physical object that you use to focus yourself, then you remove that. The space occupied by the physical object is the base of infinite space. Now, <laughs> before you can do that, it doesn't seem to make sense. Huh? And so I gave you the example of the room as a reference. Yeah? But the room is not infinite. Uh, but in the case of the four formless uh, concentration, the first one is based, is linked to the form concentration in this way. You must first be able to encompass infinitely, then remove that physical object. The space left behind is the base of infinite space. So it's meditating at the on that empty space. Outside that, our uh, anchor of meditation. Yeah, the empty space is the anchor. But it's not the outside physical space, no. But it's that inside the mind, you're able to picture this, or in your mind, be able to visualize this. Can you repeat one more time? I'm so sorry. This so, is very good. Why do we want to imagine this finite space, remove it, and then think of it as infinite? No, no, no. It's not finite. No, 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 no. This is just an example. When I talk about this four wall, I was giving you an example that now you may have missed one part. Huh? 
I said, this is roughly 20 by 10. Now if I ask you to visualize a 20 by 10 space, it's easier if you use this as a reference. Now similarly, for the infinite space, the person would encompass an infinite boundary, yeah, a space with that physical object. Then remove that physical object. The space occupied by the infinite uh, uh, object would be infinite space. Uh, it's not 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 this room, uh, not this room. But you won't be able to imagine uh, an infinite space, right? An object with infinite space, because infinite is like you go beyond, well, beyond darkness. That's because darkness. we haven't got four jana. <laughs> <laughs> It's basically boundless. Yeah, it's basically boundless. Yes. The same as what you described in the Dun Yen Jin, where the Buddha mentioned that our mind, let's say we see this space, we have these four walls, and this is what we see. But if we remove these four walls, we'll be. No. Not the same. Because, um, okay, you all must know when I'm giving you an example. Yeah? Uh, when I'm giving an example, the example is not the same as what I'm trying to explain, but it there's some parallel. So when I mention about the room, it's just an example about how if I were to ask you to imagine a 20 by 10, you there's no reference. But now with the four walls, you roughly know how big this is. You take away the four walls, you can imagine a 20 by, by 10 uh, room. Uh, the part about Le Nian Ching is a, is a, a different uh, example. Yeah, trying to describe something else. Uh, yes. The visualization, isn't it that your mind like wants that? You need to speak louder so that you can hear Okay, uh, about this uh, meditation, visualize, you use the word visualize, that means uh. that you have some object, then after that you No, no, no. Okay. Can you all hear me? When I talk about the four walls, it is because I assume most of you have not attained jhana. That's the correct assumption. So, when I mention about the room with the four walls, or when I mention about playing games, it is an analogy, an analogy, a parallel. Don't get stuck with the analogy, okay? Don't get stuck with it. And you must not use the analogy, one very important thing, uh, whether it's analogy that I gave, or when you read the sutras, uh, 
you must not go beyond the intended usage of the analogy. Uh, so, try to recall, when I used this room as an analogy, I was highlighting about how having a frames of reference is helpful for you to visualize space. Uh, that's all you you should use this analogy. That's, that's Don't go beyond why well, you, you take out the walls and you fang kong or that will it go outside or that is outside of the analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, not what I mean. Yeah. Because uh, I, what I, I went through the practice like visualization So let me let me put it out bluntly for you. They are trying to ask whether what I describe is the correct way, or should it be simply just fang kong? Ah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I describe to you, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, it's it's a good question. Yeah, you cannot. Can you all hear what he just said? Anybody cannot hear what he said just now? Or, or don't understand. Yeah, don't understand. Don't understand what he, let me give you a summary. What he asks is, uh, what I describe seems to still have to have something, whereas his approach that he has learned or you come up with yourself, you've gone through through some learning, right? Yes, maybe mistake or what. That's why I clarified with you. Oh, you're cl clarifying. You're not making a statement. Uh. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So he's clarifying. You want to ask whether what I describe is the correct way or the other way, which is just fang kong directly. Yeah. Uh, what he's asking is this. So first, of, first and foremost, I must say that what I describe is according to what the Buddha said in the Sutta. The way to move from concentration with form to formless. That's the first thing. Uh, so I, I would presume that the Buddha described the correct way. But perhaps the, the ambiguity or the confusion is this. Uh, here when we say kong, um, Chinese word is just one word. Uh, but it is, um, it is just the first of, the, of these four stages. Uh. And when they say ding, it is highlighting that there's no physical object. There's no physical object. Yeah, not so much there is emptiness or something. The last thing I want to highlight is uh, 
again, my late ordination teacher, he highlighted that uh, if you look at the Buddha and Bodhisattva's approach, it is uh, gradual. It doesn't demand or require you to suddenly be able to do something that uh, most people cannot do. The approach systematically uh, built on top of what you can do already. Uh, so, the, 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 the first of the four uh, formless concentration is something that those who already have jhana should be able to do. Now, what you describe, just sit down there and then just fang kong. Kong wu bian chu ding, shi wu bian chu ding, wu suo you chu ding, fei xiang, fei bei xiang chu ding. In chan zhong, Oh, we are on recording. Uh. In, in Chanzong, or perhaps in some centers, they will just say, ah, the, perhaps some people can do it. I, I, we cannot say that nobody can do it. Uh. Uh, perhaps some people can do it. But most people cannot do it. So, um, in fact, this method, the, the method that I just described, I quoted from the Sutta, it's not for someone from without jhana to just do it immediately also. You first start off with the practices leading to the first jhana. Where if you don't let your mind settle on something, your mind will run all over the place. In many cases, when... And again, I don't know your state because I cannot read your mind yet. But for most people, when they sit down there and they say, and they are able to just sit... Um, in many cases, uh, actually the, the mind do wonder about. But they may not be completely aware of it. Uh, why? Because sometimes students do come and tell me, oh, I, I don't have any thoughts. So then, but then after that, they say, uh, I ask them, so then what do you do? Then they will tell me, oh, then I, I sit down there and I, I wonder, Wow, how come, how come I have this? How come, wow, so no more thoughts, huh? I said, then there's a thought, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, the, the very, the very, and it's, this is not just picking on the person, uh, but is that we sometimes have a lot of questions or thoughts, but we don't realize that these are thoughts. Uh, so, for most people, it's not advisable to just sit there and fang kong. Uh, because you are just wu and you know the best is one student uh, who, who described that uh, one day I sit and then uh, there was a point golden in color then Sifu, then I went to go and investigate I said, ha. then I go inside then I said wow all gold color then I go inside oh then there's Hey, describe, describe. Sometimes, wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Those are the thoughts by itself. And, and the person still think that he don't have wang xiang. Uh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, but I don't know your, your, your stage. Uh. Correct, correct. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the, uh, in Buddhism, in Buddhist practice, right, actually, if you look at the Nikayas. Uh, in fact, if you look at Mahana Sutras that directly teach uh, Samatha Vipassana, it doesn't talk Fang Kong. Fang Kong you cannot find in Sutras. Uh, 
Because ultimately, enlightenment is not Fang Kong. Right? You need to speak louder so that they can hear what you are saying. Otherwise, they start chit-chatting already. Huh? Or use the mic. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, let me proceed. The, the, the gist of it about what was asked is... Uh, the, the thing I want to highlight is... You must... You must know the context. Uh. Here, the Buddha started off living the home life and then learned under Alara Kalama. That's the first teacher only. Then he subsequently learned under Udaka. Yeah? And each one, he finds that it doesn't lead to enlightenment. That's why he moved from Alara to Udaka. And from Udaka, then he went to extreme asceticism. Uh, so if you ask me, uh, attaining this this state, is it correct? Uh, of course, we, we can say that it doesn't lead to enlightenment. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm just describing to you what the Buddha has described in other sutras about reaching this state. Uh, so let me quickly <laughs> move on to to explain the four stages of it. So once a person can encompass infinite space, uh, fine, good. Yeah. Uh, if a person were to stay in that that state, then it's, it's also very blissful and, you know, um, basically it's just empty space. Yeah? In the mind, it's purely empty space. So nothing to agitate the mind. Mm. Yeah? Uh, but beyond that, then you remove even the, the space. Left only with consciousness that was encompassing this space. Because when you are conscious of the space, there is that consciousness that is conscious of this infinite space. Now you remove the space, left only with infinite consciousness. Second level. Ah, second level. Now, you, one could again ask the question like, what's the point of all this? Yeah? Well, in the, in the Buddha's time in India, there were different practice, practices, there were different practitioners, and even though in the Buddhist teaching, we say that the four, con four con uh, formless concentration uh, is not ideal for attaining enlightenment. Yeah, in fact, you, cannot, you, you don't have to go this way. Yeah. However, uh, to understand the rationale yeah, is also important. That if you consider, hey, it's not easy to attain, you know. And then furthermore, and that's while you're in this concentration, you are really quite free of the agitation in the mind. Uh, the problem is, even if you reach this state, you will just result in a rebirth in the formless realm. And after you pass away in that formless realm, you will still be reborn in samsara. Yeah? You are still within samsara, going to take rebirth again and again. Uh, so it's not a permanent solution. Okay? Now, from infinite consciousness, base of infinite consciousness, then... Uh, even this consciousness is removed, left with base of nothingness, uh, which is this one that uh, Alara taught the Buddha. 
his first teacher also quite advanced. It's quite advanced already. Yeah. Yeah. Then the next teacher even more advanced. Uh, then from this base of nothingness, basically really fun coma this, this in this case. Yeah. Uh Wu shooting. Then Fei Xiang, Fei Fei Xiang. this Fei Xiang, Fei Fei Xiang, uh, I will have to give you all full elaboration at a later stage because you need to know what is Yu Xiang Tian you need to know these two, but that will require much more elaboration. So, Fei Xiang, Fei Bei Xiang is basically referring to that um, this state is utterly beyond perception, but it's not this one of the Wu Xiang Tian, nor is it uh, the other, the rest of the states. Yeah. Neither perception nor, nor perception. Yes. Huh? Uh, so that is the next teacher. Uh, so just now you give the example of this, this white colored patch. Is, is, is there any object which is uh, easier for you to actually think and focus and, and to. Well, um, throughout the Nikayas, so Louis' question is Louis asked a question. Besides a white patch, are there other things that is easier to focus on? Now, uh, easier or harder is subjective. Huh? Yeah. So, but... No, hang on, hang on, I haven't. Let me answer first. <laughs> so, for some people, maybe focusing on a white circle, yeah, white this is difficult. Yeah. For some people, I don't like white, I, I like red color. Uh, so, there are four colors that, were, that is part of the uh, different objects. In Visudin Maga, there are 40 different objects. Yeah? Uh, but the Buddha repeatedly come back to the breath and highlighted the breath as a suitable object that is calming, tranquiling, can lead to the four jhanas and even enlightenment. Anapanasati. Yes, Anapanasati. Mindfulness of the breath. Because when I, every morning when I stare at the, the Buddha, the, the picture, I actually can close my eyes and can focus on Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not very long, la, but then ah. it's the, for a few moments, I can focus. That's ah. what you say, focus on the white patch, and after that, you continue. Ah. Well, there is such a practice uh, in the Mahana tradition. Yeah. So, visualization of the Buddha, uh, but uh, typically, uh, let me not discourage you. Uh, uh, first of all, I must say, yeah, good. If you can, if you find that that is uh, what you can connect with, yeah, you can do that. Uh, in the formal training, then they usually start with one of the eyebrow, and totally focus on the on the eyebrow area, and be able to capture the eyebrow in the full detail. Then the other eyebrow, then the eyes, left one side, the other side, fully capture the detail. Then the white patch of Nietzschean. Uh, uh, then after that, the nose, then the mouth, and then the frame, uh, slowly. So it's, it's in full HD, uh, 1080p. Then I'm going to wear my spectacle and then take it. I'm telling you, uh, the way is formally taught. Uh, the way is formally taught. It's not yeah. to see, right? It's to visualize in specific detail. But you must see first, right? You must see first. See, oh, okay. uh, because you, you cannot see the Buddha Nama, only can see statue and the images. Yeah, but I'm telling you the formal 
training that I have (uh) I I never train in this before but I have heard of how it's it's done [ah] and so it typically when we say we visualise #fou xiang# ya (uh) the buddha image it's basically just roughly look at it and then [ah] in my mind I can see also quite good [lah] ya but the formal training is in full detail ya and why so because from this full detail you can link it to the 三十二相八十水好:san shi er xiang ba shi shui hao whereas if you just capture like that roughly an image you cannot distinct (uh) (uh) distinguish the thirty two marks which is related to his thirty two practices [ah] because from for (uh) this 有相观观想:you xiang guan guan xiang [ah] from this visualisation it is actually linked to the non form (uh) reflection ya because from the thirty two marks of the buddha then it's linked to the qualities of him then from the qualities it's linked to his practices [ah] [ah] so this there's a there's this 次第:ci di [ah] ya but if you if it at this at this at a certain stage if you find that !hey! you just look at the buddha and you can calm you then okay ya (err) beyond what I described (uh) then what (uh) what is useful is you open your eyes you see the buddha you close your eyes you can see the buddha then you open your eyes you see wilson instead of seeing wilson you see buddha also (ppl) not that he not that he become buddha [ah] but you see him as a buddha then you open your eyes you close your eyes you still see the buddha you open your eyes again you still see wilson but as a buddha then when someone scold you you open your eyes you see buddha [ah] then it effectively help you overcome your defilement [ah] [hor] okay (uh) who is next still there's three minutes left [ah] [eh] up to nine up to nine thirty right up to nine !huh! up to nine o'clock !huh! nine thirty [ah] [oh] just now already nine ten then I thought is !aiya! I still got time (ppl) okay okay so it's up to nine o'clock [ah] confirm [ah] okay okay so then so we stop here (um) at the second the third last paragraph we will continue on the second last paragraph of page fifty six do you have a a sticker you have [ah]
愿消三障诸烦恼，愿消三障诸烦恼，愿得智慧真明了，愿得智慧真明了，普愿罪障悉消除，普愿罪障悉消除，世世常行菩萨道，世世常行菩萨道。I like to also extend dedication to those who were involved and suffered in the accident yesterday along the highway, and also to those in Berlin, Germany. Who suffered the uh, attack, um, and also to those who did the attack. Uh, oftentimes, we wish well for those who are attacked. Uh, but in Buddhism, we consider that those who actually did the attack, uh, they must be unsettled. If they are settled, if they are happy, and you know, nobody who is happy would wake up one day and say, "Oh, let me go and drive a truck into the market." So they must have. Also, been unsettled, agitated, and unwell. So we dedicate merits to them. Also, wishing for them and those who suffer in the attack, and also extending to all beings, may all be well and happy. May all find peace wherever they are. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Chili.